What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Okay, you know, like at camps and stuff like this, you take the ball out. You ain't getting the ball back. <laughs> like, you the last one up the court. They already did their thing. So I stopped there, and I just got into a rhythm and started hooping. The Lakers should sign Trey Young this summer. They got to kind of start preparing for, like, if LeBron's last year is this year or next year, whenever it is. And I feel like a uh, pick and roll with AD and a guy like Trey Young would be deadly. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. AT&T connects and ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic so slow, connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome to All the Smoke, a production of the Black Effect and Our Heart Radio in partnership with Showtime. Welcome back, man. Season two of All the Smoke. We got a real special guest. What's up with your Brody with the virtual handshake? I'm going to tell y'all something that I never told nobody. I want all the smoke. Welcome back to another edition of All the Smoke. Jack, what's going on? My brother, what's up with you? Man, I can't call it. Just enjoying this beautiful California weather. Is it still ugly out there? Uh, it's, it's, it's not as ugly as it was the other day, but uh, sun coming out a little bit, but still cool. You got a little bit of hope. Well, we got a special guest tonight. Very excited. Um, a, a legend in her space. It's an honor to have her tonight. Welcome to the show, Cheryl Swoops. Cheryl, how you doing? I'm doing great. Like, it's such an honor for me to be here with you two, because I hear y'all get down on this show. <laughs> Look at my smile, Cheryl. Huh? <laughs> why are you, I'm happy to see, why are you I'm happy smiling to see you. like that? I'm so happy to see you. I still got a bone to pick with you, though. Cheryl, this is the place to pick it. Go ahead and pick that shit. This is the place to pick it. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's not that big to do, but it is. Like, like you have my number, but you have to call my brother to get me to come on the show. Oh, well, actually, do, like, let, really? let me... Oh, I'm, I'm glad she yeah. said that. Actually, your brother reached out to me and we had been talking uh -huh. and it didn't have nothing to do with you. Actually, Ooh. we were talking about something else and Ooh. I said, bro, and uh -huh. we talked about it. Then he came back and said, hey, bro, when we gonna get Cheryl on the show? I said, the you know what? We gonna make it happen thickens. ASAP. That's right. just how it happened. Well, Matt, you and I can just have a conversation then. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> the plot thickens. I but I appreciate you guys allowing me to be in your space for a little bit. Nah, no, it's an honor to have you on. We appreciate it. Obviously, very, very well decorated. MVP, four-time champ, Olympian. The the accolades go on. Um, tell me, tell us one thing you took from 2020, whether it be good or bad. Ooh, damn. Um, that life is too short. 
Absolutely. I, I just, mm -hmm. you know, Absolutely. it's hard to just pick one thing, but 2020 was a hell of a year, I think, for everybody. And if I had to pick one, I would say that life is too short. So embrace every moment, embrace spending time with friends and family and loved ones, because you never know when you're going to get that opportunity again. Absolutely. We're just a little over a year since Kobe passed. And one of his favorite quotes that I love is he said, we all make the mistake of thinking we have more time. Mm. Mm. No, you got to be in the moment and enjoy it. Um, how is coaching college basketball? Because that's what you're currently doing. How difficult has this been during the pandemic? Well, so actually, um, I'm not coaching. Oh, you're not? I, no, I I was a head coach for three years, then an assistant at my alma mater for a year. What I will uh -huh. tell you is I found out quickly that that's not my space. I, I uh -huh. love the game. Um, I love being a part of the game. I love what the game's done for me. But I'll t kids today are different. Just the, <laughs> I mean, yeah. their mentality, yeah, yeah. their work ethic, yeah. they're so entitled. And like, you can't, seriously, like you can't coach them. And mm. I just decided that wasn't the space for me. I am currently um, actually working for Nike. So I'm I'm oh, super no. excited about that. That's awesome. Well, we're going to send our shoe sides as soon as the uh, interview's over anyway. Um. <laughs> as if, if y'all don't have the hookup already. Okay. Uh, Jack, Jack, got, Jack, Jack has a plug. But it's funny you say that because I coach, you know, I jumped in after I retired in 17. And I actually had a few NBA opportunities, obviously would have had to start at the bottom, but I, I passed on that too, because it, to me, there was, there is a disconnect between the way even we came up and, and the way we approach the game and the way we look at the game and the way, um, you know, these younger athletes do now. I do coach my, tw my 12 year old twins, their AAU team. So I got them early enough to kind of put some kind of structure and discipline, but you know, I've seen these high and it's no knock on them. It's just this what the world is these days. But there is a, a definitely a sense of entitlement and privilege. No doubt. And you know, few and far between actually have to put the hard work in it takes to to get to that next level. They expect it to be given to them. Well, and you're right. Like it, it's not a knock, but I will say this. First of all, how is it coaching your boys? I love it. I have a great connection, you know, and it's funny, too, because Jack has a similar situation where he has a kid, but he found that he's better off just being the dad and the support system. And mm -hmm. I actually like being in the trenches with my kids and, and teaching them and their friends. But, Matt, you know what I found is it's different with boys and girls for whatever reason. I, I grew up, I played for male coaches, I played for female coaches, and I was the type of player that it didn't really matter if it was male or female. Like, I wanted you, if I wasn't doing my part, I needed to be coached hard. I wanted to right. be coached hard. I didn't mind you yelling at me. You know, today you when... You different, though. You different, that's though. That's why I say I can't coach today. Because you can't, <laughs> you can't coach play, you can't coach girls like that. I'll say that because I haven't coached yeah. boys. But you can't coach yeah. girls that way. I hear that. So raised, raised by your mom, brought up in Texas. What was your childhood like? Brothers, Brownfield. sisters? What you know about Brownfield? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm a Texas boy. Um, Man, it was, you know, it was. Here's what I'll say. Now that I'm older, I look back on it and say, like, our childhood was tough. But when you're growing up in it and that's all you know, I mean, it is what it is. Like, all I saw was my mom busting her ass every single day um, to provide for us. And my dad was not in the picture. My mom and dad got divorced when I was three months old. 
So I never knew my dad. Um, dang, you making me get choked up. I I met my dad. I do it all the time. You know, I met my dad for the very first time when I was 30 years old. Wow. And there was no emotion because I, you know, like I don't, I don't know him. And yeah. And so he was like, I think expecting something from me as far as like being emotional. But I'm like, dude, I just met you. I don't don't know who you are. (laughs) So how can I be emotional with someone that I don't know? But what, what I would tell you is what I saw was my mom just, God rest her soul. My mom passed away three years ago, but mm, rest in peace. I, I just, I just saw her work hard. That's all I knew. And I know that's what she instilled in me and that's where I got it from. Um, and it was just one of those things that whatever you got to do to make it happen, you just got to do it. And, and that's what I kind of felt about 2020. You know what I mean? Like people, yep. people out there struggling and, and, and suffering and not to mention, you know, everything else that, that even that we as black people have been dealing with and are yep. going through. We exactly. just, you know, we gotta, we gotta get through it. We gotta figure it out. How did sports play a role in your upbringing? And, you know, and uh, talk about your siblings as well. So I have two older brothers and a younger brother, the one that, you know, y'all are having a conversation that, that had nothing to do about me. Beast swoops. Um, so, Shout out beast swoops. But you know what? Sports was sports was huge in my life. Um, like I said, I grew up with two older brothers. And the only way my mom would really let me leave the house is if I told her I was going to go play basketball with my brothers. My mom was very, very, very strict. And at the time, I was just like, damn, she's just so mean. You know, that's what I thought. But looking back on it, I'm so glad that she raised me the way she did. Um, because at any moment, you know, I could have taken the wrong turn and, and ended up being somewhere different, just like a lot of my friends were. But, mm-hmm. you know, sports, and I think people talk about this a lot, but I think more so for, for girls or women, sports was a huge part as far as helping me with my with my self-confidence um, and my self-esteem. I, I grew up in a very small town. We didn't have a lot. And, you know, people told me all the time that I couldn't do something because, one, because of the color of my skin, um, that I wouldn't be good enough because I was a girl, because I was too this, I was too that, I wasn't good enough. Um, but because I believed in me and I had the right people around me, meaning my mom and my brothers, um, it didn't really matter what everybody else said to me because I was determined that I was going to be successful and prove all those people wrong. And it still happens today. <laughs> oh, it, it, It's an ongoing battle. It, it, it don't stop just because you I'm stop saying like you guys know yeah. that, right? Absolutely. You guys know that. Absolutely. What was your what was your introduction to basketball? Uh, I started playing ball when I was seven. And back then, we had what we called in West Texas, um, little dribblers. And I just, I knew at a very early age, at the age of seven, that basketball was 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 going to just change my life. Like, I knew that. There was something about having a basketball, dribbling a basketball, and I didn't have to be in a gym. I could be in the streets, you know, the lights are off. There was something about having a basketball in my hands that just made me 
feel invincible, to be very honest with you. And mm. I, I could never find enough girls that were interested in playing the game. They were right. interested in doing so ask. much other stuff, right? Yeah. But, mm-hmm. you know, I had my brothers and I had all the fellas that I grew up with. I was like, no, this is what I want to do. And mm-hmm. it's just it's so crazy to think about something as simple as a ball, as a basketball could give you that, could make you feel as as invincible, as powerful as I felt any time right. I had a basketball. Absolutely. Well, you just mentioned it, not really finding a lot of girls that wanted to do the same thing. Who were some of the people you looked up to uh, in the basketball game? Because obviously, you know, females weren't on TV back then right. really playing basketball. So were you looking up to males or were there any female basketball players that you had looked up to at that time? You know, MJ? <laughs> Unfortunately, there, like, you're right, Matt, there were no girls. The only time I actually realized girls played was the Olympics. Um, mm. I never really got a chance to watch the the Nancy Liebermans, the Ann Myers, the Lynette Woodards, um, who have done incredible things for the women's game. So, yeah, like a lot of other people out there, MJ was, he was my dude. Like, I was going to be in front of the TV. Anytime MJ was on TV, I was like, I got to, I got to watch. I got to watch. It was something about, you know, and it wasn't me watching because I wanted to be like him. Like, my opinion, nobody will ever be like him. But it was, there was something about the way he played the game and how competitive he was and, like how tough he was and how he walked out there and was like, like you, like the name of your show. It was like, you, y'all don't want none of this. That's what I, I saw that. I saw that in him, you yeah. know, and I was like, yeah. damn, like, like I, I want to be that way. I want to be good enough where when I walk out on the court, I feel that confidence and people, right? Like my competition will see me and they're like, damn, here comes Cheryl today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they said it. I, 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 I used to see Mike walk on the court and look at the other players on the court like, thanks for buying tickets to the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's how Mike used to look at well, him. But, no, uh, but go, you know go what? Back I know y'all are interviewing me, but that was a question I would ask. Like, mm-hmm. you guys played with, played against? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, how was that? Well, I personally, I missed MJ by a year, so Kobe was my guy, was yeah. my MJ. Uh, but as that far as growing up either. watching the game, yeah, uh, uh, as far as growing up watching the game, I'm a California kid, so I was a Showtime Magic Johnson fan, mm. Laker fan. So, you know, trying to emulate everything he did. And, you know, he was him and Grant here were the two guys I looked up to. Yeah, similar. I, I grew up with Kobe, so I seen Kobe a lot growing up. Um, Kobe's the closest thing that I ever seen to Mike, but MJ was somebody I always looked up to. End up playing for him in Charlotte and end up, you know, being a part of Team Jordan. So, you know, Jordan is always going to be everybody's number one guy. Back to basketball. Uh, yeah. how, what's, tell, me about your, tell me about your high school experience in Texas and how much did you put in the game when you was in high school? Like, how much did you work on your game? Texas basketball, like, is – I know a lot of people say football is a sport in right. Texas. I, I won't say it's probably even. Like, Texas basketball is is serious. And again, for me, because I think a lot of it is because of the way I grew up and the way my mom raised me. I mean, I could not get enough time in the gym. And I and I knew 
if I told her or if she knew I was in the gym, that was going to be okay, right? But I, I don't know. It's so crazy. When I, I had friends who, they were like, Cheryl, it's weekend. It's Friday. It's Saturday. Like, we're going to a party. We're going to kick it. We're doing this. We're doing that. You want to come? And even though there were times I wanted to go, first of all, my mom was not having it. Mom was like, no, you're not doing that. (laughs) And then I was like, no, like I I wanted to spend the time. I wanted to put the time in, you know, Sundays, go to church, come home, eat, change your clothes. It was basketball all day. We had outdoor courts that we call the Tiger Bowl where we grew up. There was me and one other female that played with the guys. And I'm talking about like I'm in high school and these are these are grown men, you know, really playing. Yeah, really playing, you know, no nets. We didn't have nets on the, Mm -hmm. but it didn't matter. Like that was real basketball. And when I think about my, my career and why I was able to achieve a lot of the things I did, like I always go back to, you know, my upbringing and my childhood and and a lot of the old heads that I played with because they got me ready. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. I'm not guarding like that, CJ. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the One Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. 
Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. When did you know you was going to the next level and what moment stood out to you, you know, to give you that indication you was going to the next level? Uh, like, I just, I always told myself, one, that basketball would be my ticket to, to college and basketball would be my ticket to not only change my life, but to change my mom's life. And mm. I, I was very dedicated this may be bad, but I was more dedicated to sports than I was to the school. Although I knew uh, I had to well, make the uh, grades. Really? Listen, really? listen. Duh. Duh. <laughs> you a hooper. We all did that. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the club. But I knew I had to make the grades or I couldn't play. You know, so it, there were times where I did just enough to get by. Um, as much as I hate sitting here saying that, but I did. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I I think at a very young age, seriously, if we're being honest, I think at a very young age, I I knew that God had blessed me with a talent that not a lot of people had. And it was up to me to decide what I was going to do with that talent. Mm -hmm. So when when the WNBA started, um, one, I I didn't believe it was going to happen initially. But after it did, and I signed my very first WNBA contract, which wasn't an NBA contract, but <laughs> my, I felt like all the hard work, everything I put in, all the sacrifices that I made, that my mom made, yeah, yeah like finally, and now I can go out here and I can, I can show the world, you know, what, who Cheryl Swoops is and, and what this game means to me. Before getting to the WNBA, though, what colleges? Talk about your college experience. What colleges was after you? Um, I mean, a lot. Um, everybody. You know, the one school that didn't recruit me was Connecticut. I, I knew it was one. <laughs> I knew it but was one. But here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. But back back then, back in the day, Connecticut wasn't like the Connecticut yeah. they are today. Yeah, it was powerhouse now. You know, but back then it was the University of Texas, um Tennessee. And Tennessee, Stanford. Yeah. Stanford. And being Dallas from Davis. Texas, you know, being from Texas, I was like, oh no, Longhorns. It is Longhorns. Right. So I initially signed to go play at the University of Texas. I was there for seven days and got homesick and didn't like it. And I I transferred. (laughs) But but what I would tell you is it wasn't a thing of me calling my mom saying, hey, I'm homesick. I want to leave. I called my mom every day, bawling, boohooing, crying. And she said Mm. to me, oh, no, no, no. You made this decision. And I didn't talk to her about it. I just said, if the Longhorns are recruiting me, that's where I'm going. So I called her six nights straight, bawling, boohooing, saying, I want to leave. I want to come home. And she said, oh, no, no, that's not what we do. Mm. You made the commitment. So you got to do it. 
And it wasn't until the last day I called her and I was crying hysterically. And I said, Mom, I'm leaving. Whether you want me to or not, I'm out. And she finally gave in and said, okay, well, baby, come home. And um, yeah, and so when I left, I transferred, went to Texas Tech. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. Won a national championship. Yep, yep. Absolutely. I had a similar situation when I was at UCLA. I mean, I'm from Northern California, so I was only an hour plane flight or six hour drive, but just leaving home for the first time, it was a lot. And although I was in, although I was in LA at UCLA, I had the same experience. I was driving home once a week, you know, did I make the right decision? Should I just go somewhere closer to home? But I ended up sticking it out and and it was great for me, but I definitely remember those early days in college, like, damn, I'm finally away from home, but do I really want to be away from home? (laughs) (laughs) I thought I did, right? I was eight out in Austin at Texas. I was eight hours away. So, and that was my first thought was, damn, I just got to get away from home. And when I did it, I was like, eh, I don't really think this is for me. So your senior year, like you mentioned, you win a national championship at Texas Tech, um, score 47 points in the championship game, named Final Four MVP. What was that experience like? 47, Lord. That bucket, <laughs> right? And, and the team, shit, they only won by two. They oh needed every last the bucket. Game, the game wasn't that close. It was one of those okay. games. It, it, was, it really wasn't. Um, it was close, okay. but not a two-point game. It was more like a 10-point okay. game, but... Yeah, gotcha. yeah. You know, I had friends who played for Stanford and Tennessee, and I would always ask them because those were the schools that every year, year after year, they were the Connecticut's back then, right? Year after mm-hmm. year. Yep. Either they're going to win it or they're at least going to be at the Final Four. And I would always ask them, like, what does it feel like? How did you do it? What, you know? And they were like, you have to experience it. Like, I can sit here and tell you, oh, it's such a great feeling. And in my mind, I was like, oh, but that's just not, I seriously was. I was like, that's not going to happen. I'll tell you, the team I played on at Texas Tech in 93, we weren't the most talented team. We played a 2-3 zone defense the entire game. We weren't very athletic, but we all played our roles, right? Like, that's how we were able to win. But the best Give Cheryl the ball, move the out the way. Give Cheryl the ball, move out the way. Right. Give Cheryl the ball, move out the way. Set a screen for Cheryl. That's the Cheryl. That was kind of sort of what we did. It was. In a way. But the best feeling was being able to have my mom there and my brothers mm. there and share that moment with them. And especially when so many people said, if you leave Texas, you'll never win a championship. And growing up in the town I grew up, so many people doubted that, you know, I would ever be anything and or be successful and leave the city. So to be able to share that moment with my family was the best yeah. feeling in the world. Winning a national championship is it's special. It is so special. I missed it. Yeah, Jack checked out of school. Jack, Jack, Jack checked out of school in high school. College was never an option. It was league or nothing. No, I was on, I was on campus the whole first semester at Arizona, and I, I couldn't pass pass the test because I was too busy partying. And they went on to win the national championship. Not that was you. my national. Not championship. you. Uh, oh yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but look, but you still made it. Still made it. Absolutely. Still made it. What was your basketball experience like post-college 
um, before the WNBA came around. So, Matt, my story is a little different than probably a lot of other players if you ask them. And, and I am a firm believer that, I say this all the time, that God put me at the right place at the right time when he wanted me there. Because mm. when I... Right. <laughs> I'm te- when when I graduated from Texas Tech, I went to Italy, but I was only there for five months. Um, I played five months, came back home, got my degree, and then ninety ninety five ninety six USA basketball put together a national team where we we were together for an entire year. We trained mm-hmm. in Colorado Springs in preparation for the ninety six Olympics in Atlanta. We trained in Colorado Springs. We did a European tour and they paid us to do that. So I never was in a position where I had to go play overseas in the off season. If I, if I did it, it's, it was because I chose to do it. But right after Mm -hmm. the 96 Olympics, then the WNBA started. Uh, Take me back to the 96 Olympics. Obviously uh, you guys get there, you guys capture gold, but that's also the bombing. So what what was that experience like for you guys uh, with the bomb in Centennial Park? Because I actually just watched the Netflix thing and I forgot what it was called. But they had the guy that they thought set the bomb and he didn't really. But it, it really fascinated me and brought me back to that point. Because I remember when I was in high school seeing how big of a deal that was. And it's crazy because I saw that on Netflix, but I didn't want to watch it because I didn't want to go back to that moment. Too close to home, I can imagine. Right. I think, first of all, we all thought it was a joke. For whatever reason, because it's like, first of all, we're in the U.S., right? Like, that's not happening here. And then Centennial Park was so close to where we were staying. We didn't stay in the Olympic Village with all the other athletes. We were in, uh, y'all forgive me, because I can't even think of the name of the hotel. Um, If I said the Omni, would you say yeah? Does that make sense? Yep, that's it. That's the Omni right across the street from Centennial Park. Okay, thank you. Because I'm like, is there yes. even an Omni anymore? <laughs> yeah, but that's where, yep, that's where we stayed. So we actually had a day off. And I think most of us were just kind of out doing our own thing. And as soon as the bombing happened, we all started getting these messages and security and everybody. We all had to get together and they took us away from the hotel until they found out like what was really going on. And I think in that moment though was it was more about like like why? You know what I mean? Like why would someone want to harm a lot of people, not not just Americans, but you're talking about people from all over the world. Right. Yeah. And then just people, just fans. Right. And it it just so and that's why I saw it on Netflix, Matt. And I was like, "Mm, I don't I don't really want to go back there. Yeah. Yeah, To this day, they still haven't found the person. They they, really. Yeah. They still haven't found the person. They exonerated the person they accused. He ended up dying later. But yeah, they to this day, it's still an open case. It's crazy. And you learned all that on after watching the movie. Yeah. Okay. It was a it, it was a series. I might need so to go it, watch it was that. pretty interesting, but like I said, it was close to home for you. Um, Nineteen ninety six, the WNBA comes around. You're the first player signed, but you don't join the league uh, for actually six weeks after you signed because you had the birth of your first son, which I think is crazy <laughs> and absolutely amazing. The fact that you guys can go through the whole pregnancy, give birth, and then just hop back like right where you picked up at it's, it's unbelievable to me. Matt, it does not happen like that. 
No, <laughs> y'all make it look easy. Yeah, you, you, like you make it look right like that. No, 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 no. Let's rewind a little bit. So here, oh, yeah. here's the crazy thing: when, when the de- after the '96 Olympics or during the Olympics, I should say, I had a conversation with Val Ackerman, who, when when it first started, Val was the president. Like we didn't have a commissioner, um, and mm-hmm. David Stern, God rest his soul. I had conversations yeah, with the two of them. Yeah about um, the WNBA. And, you know, at the time, there was another league, the ABL, um, that started up mm-hmm. immediately after the Olympics. So a lot of, most of the players joined the ABL. But I had a conversation with Val and David, and they both asked me not to play in the ABL, that the WNBA was going to start, and they wanted me to, you know, basically market the league, get people excited about it. Base. And... Right. You know, I mean, why not? I needed a break, right. wanted a break. They were going to pay me, so mm-hmm. I didn't have to play in the ABL. Mm-hmm. And after that, I remember <laughs> I still didn't believe it was going to happen until I actually signed that first contract with the WNBA. And as you said, I when I signed my contract, I did not know I was pregnant. I mm-hmm. found out later, and my initial reaction was, shit. Like, what is the league going to think? What is the league going to do? I'm letting the league down. I'm letting the fans down. I am the face of the league. Like, I got to play. But there was no way I could play. Um, Obviously, there was no way I could play. And it was never a a question of whether I was going to have my son or not. So I waited until after my first trimester, had a conversation with um, Val Ackerman and told her what was going on. And she was so supportive and was just like... Well, I mean, you know, that's as female athletes, that is one thing that we have to think about, right? If we want to start a family and have kids, we have to think about that. But she said, as soon as you're, you know, you're ready, you're able, you're healthy, like, we'll be ready for you. But meanwhile, I continue to market the league and do things for the league. But as you said, six weeks after... I gave birth to my son. I was back out on the court. And and not so much that I was like, no, I got to play, right? Because that was impossible. I gained 55 pounds while I was pregnant. So I was like, there's no way. But the reason why I did it is because I wanted to be a part of the inaugural WNBA season. Like, that was very important to me to just be a part of it. Um, but it was not as easy as, I, 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 I don't sound. know people, <laughs> 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 yeah, cause you made it sound like, dang, I wish it was that right. easy. No, yeah. it, it, um, it took me, honestly, it took me an entire year to get back into playing shape. So you end up joining your team and you guys from the first year established a dynasty. We're able to win four straight titles. How tough was Man. it after one? defending two after two defending three and then finally getting that fourth how tough was that each year with your team considering oh. it was a new league i'm mad too. that we ain't win more than four you want to know the truth mm. yeah, you got um, man you know here's what's crazy so when the league first started that first the the first season like there wasn't a draft like, players got appointed. So, with me being from Texas, they said, all right, you're from Texas, you're going to play in Houston. And with Coop being living living in Houston, they appointed her to Houston. 
And a lot of people didn't know about. They didn't know what they was doing at the time. They didn't know what they was doing at the time. They were sick. They were sick. But listen, though. But there were other teams that were the same. But people didn't really know about Coop because she had been playing overseas, right? She was one of those players that had to go play overseas because there was no professional league. So then after we get appointed, right, then L.A. gets Lisa Leslie and I don't even know who the other player was, to be honest with you. So then there's a draft and we end up drafting Tina Thompson. (laughs) But no one but no one knew how good Tina was going to be. (laughs) And so because I had played in the Olympics and Coop had played overseas I knew this player from Brazil named Janeth Arcane, who mm. was like all, she's like all everything in Brazil. So then we get Janeth to come and be on the team. And now you have, you have four players, honestly, who on any given night can, can give you 30 or 40, seriously. Mm-hmm. So now it's about, well, let's go find us some role players. Some of your toughest matchups. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, Playing L.A. was always tough. Like, Lisa Leslie is one of the toughest competitors I've ever played with and against. Um, Even though we don't play the same position, those were good battles that we had. Mm -hmm. Um, Tamika Catchings. Catch is just a a baller. Like, she was going to defend you all night long. Um, And some, you know, players that a lot of people probably don't know or talk about like when the league first started we had a lot of international players that could go like Mm. there were a Mm. couple of players from Russia that were not I mean nice that could just play Mm. so defending Mm. a lot of playing against a lot of the international players was I, I won't say it was tough it was good competition like yeah like they they were just good and when I look at current players, I know you didn't ask me this question, but current players, because um, the players today I didn't really play against. Um, but like Angel McCautry, mm-hmm. I think I think Angel's a heck of a player. Love sure, Angel. Mm-hmm. Angel reminds me of myself. She plays mm-hmm. both ends of the floor. I just, mm-hmm. I, I love her game. Love watching her play. Huge Asia Wilson fan. I love Asia Wilson. I think Asia will be one of the best players in the league. Um, the player I will leave with would be Lauren Jackson, who played mm-hmm. for Seattle. For people who don't yep. know, played for Seattle. Lauren, mm-hmm. Lauren was the truth. Yeah. Love we got to give Lisa a props. We got to give Lisa yeah. Leslie a props. She beat me. She's the first woman. She's the first woman. To have a WNBA championship and also be the coach to coach a professional men's team to a championship in a big three. She beat me in a championship with with a Joe Johnson team. So salute to Lisa. Salute to Lisa. That's right. I think I was there when she beat you. So, yeah. Hey, but I was balling. I I held my own, (laughs) goddammit. No, you did. You did your thing. That's true. Joe was just That's too true. much. Joe was just, Joe Johnson was too much. Actually, we got him on a show coming soon, but Joe was just too much. I so Joe. So let me ask you a question, since you brought that up, because I I, yes. I heard some people saying, "Oh, because Nancy did Nancy win the first championship? 
The big she three. She did. She she won the second one. The second one. The second one. She, Nancy the second won year. the second, and then Lisa yep. won the third. So yes. I heard a lot of people saying that they were giving players to stack their team so that they could make a big deal out of a female coaching the men's teams and winning a championship. Sounds well, like some bullshit. I, I can answer that. That's absolutely false. Um, Corey McGetty and Katino Mobley picked Nancy Lieberman to be their coach, first of all. Um, and That's before not. John Johnson came in the league, they asked Joe Johnson – they gave him a number of coaches who he wanted to play for, and he also picked Lisa Leslie. No, that's so yeah, so I I, I have okay. been the face of this league. I have been the face of the Big Three since it started, and Joe took it from me now. But that that is the facts. That's what's up. I like that. Yeah. I like that. So um, you were able to experience uh, a lot of success uh, early on in the WNBA, but outside of actually playing, what are some of the challenges? You and some of the bigger name players faced continuing to try to grow the league and getting respect and getting equal pay and, and the whole nine because it's still a struggle to this day. Mm. Oh, she took a deep breath well. before this one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. Where do I begin? I did. I did. I just listen. I, I take a lot of pride in watching the league succeed and doing my part to try and help it succeed. Right. But at the same time, I also feel like it's one of those things where it's like, thank you guys for what you did for us. Now it's time to move on to other mm. players, current players. Mm. And I, I take that very personally it's almost like a slap in the face when you look at where the league started and all the players who helped get the league to where it is today. And for, for, for us not to be included in this may be real petty, but I don't really care. So when I look at the NBA, right, I look at NBA All-Star and all the events and things that are going on. Um, surrounding NBA All-Star, you always see former players involved in some capacity. And, and I think that's important because I also think there's a connection that former players have with the fans and, and even with the players. But that doesn't happen in the WNBA. Mm. So I don't know if that was two years ago. All-Star game is in Las Vegas. And again, it's not this big grand ceremony celebration like the NBA I get that but you still have so many former players who are around who want to be a part of the league who want right. to help grow the league but you don't take advantage of that and you don't use use us to help do that so mm -hmm. when I go to the skills challenge this is two all-star games ago I go to the skills challenge right to watch WNBA do their little thing it's not packed. A gazillion seats on the floor. I get someone walk up to me and say, Cheryl, you, you can't sit on the floor. Your seat is up there. Mm. Now, when I say that may be petty, I don't look at that as being petty because the way I look at that is... That's disrespectful like, to me. What? what she, hell yeah. This league, this league like, was built you, on your you back. Mean? Right. That's disrespectful. 
And not not only right. that, y'all, there's 500 empty seats on the floor. Nobody's there watching, <laughs> right. first of all. Right. Like, ser- seriously. Mm-hmm. And then I turn and I look at who you who you did allow to sit on the floor. And I'm like, there is something seriously mm. wrong with this picture. Mm. It really yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. And I have over over the years, I have become more vocal about the treatment and or mistreatment and how I feel about it. Because I think if you want to continue to see the league grow and be successful, you have Absolutely. to start using your former players to make that happen. Absolutely. And a lot of the yeah. fans in the WNBA are fans from back in the day who still have that connection or they want that connection or relationship with the former players. And I just don't mm-hmm. see how that could hurt. If, if anything, it's only going to help grow the game. And I do yeah, I know agree. for a fact that there, I am not the only player that feels that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, like Jack said, I mean, the league was built on your guys' back and the fact that there's no homage or almost even respect um, when it comes to recognizing who helped the foundation of mm-hmm. this league that has continued to grow ever since. But like you said, it's still, it's funny you say that because I feel a similar way with UCLA. It's almost like we did what we did out there and then once you're gone, you're gone and who's next? You know what I mean? We had yeah. probably arguably the most guys in the NBA, but they don't you unless you're back donating thousands, hundreds mm. of thousands of dollars, they don't give a shit about you. Like they don't use us mm. to recruit nobody. <laughs> they don't use us to do anything. And we're some of the most recognizable figures in the game, but they don't utilize right. us. You know what I mean? It's like, what's the point? You know, so it's I, I, I could, could, obviously yours is on a higher level because it's professional, but I get exactly what you're saying. It's just like once you did what you but did, it's the it same was great thing. for what you did it. <laughs> right. You it, thank you for what you did, but who's up next now? Instead of being like, okay, well, we appreciate yes. you. How can we in, 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 integrate you? Because yes. to me, you can't tell me that having me call someone, having uh, Baron Davis call someone, Russell Westbrook call someone, some <laughs> of these guys call some of these players and use them in a recruiting pitch is not going to help you recruit players. Just like it's not going to help for you guys to Listen, be, it's going to help you guys to be there to continue to grow the game. Matt, you may not they they may not get the players, but they're at least going to listen to you. Right. Do you know what right, I mean? Right. Right. <laughs> like I, I, that that to me that's a no brainer. And why people yep. can't see that and don't take advantage of that is beyond me. To touch on that, I know when I you know I've, I've been to a couple All Star games and you know I'm not. Nowhere the player in the NBA that you were, in, that you was in the WNBA, and the respect that you deserve, but they have tickets at All Star games and floor seats for the 15th <laughs> guy on the roster when All Star weekend in any city. So it's no way that I the know. face of the WNBA should not be able, you know, to sit on the floor. So I, I, I totally understand your pain, but the NBA does a great job of of bringing WNBA players and getting them involved ours, in, in, right. in our All-Star yeah. weekend. You know what I mean? Right. So so I, I, I totally understand what you're saying. No, I was just going to say some people may listen to that and they're like, that is so petty. But it really isn't. No, like, it's not. not at all. I, I have done so much for this game, for the mm-hmm. league, and I continue to do it daily. And mm-hmm. for me to expect to be treated a certain kind of way, I don't think that's asking too much. Not at all. My one question is, did you move seats when they came and told you that wasn't your seat? (laughs) (laughs) So listen, let me tell you. So now I'll tell you. So the the, 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 the angry angry black woman, the angry black woman in me came out. (laughs) 
Hey, this is what I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear this I part. I, wanna, I, 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 I wanted to cuss at. I wanted to. I wanted to cuss at the screen when you just told me what happened. Like what the fuck? I laughed. I laughed the whole gym. I left the whole gym. Oh, wow. So get that. Well, like, since oh, you asked God. that question, no, let me let me let me finish the story. I left the gym, right? <laughs> the next day was the actual all-star game. Okay. The next day was the actual all-star game. And our tickets again, they weren't a nosebleed, but some close bullshit. To it. I'll say it for you. But let me tell you what happened, Matt. <laughs> so instead, I come to the game and I sat courtside. So the same person that told oh me the day before that I couldn't sit there comes over to me and says, oh, you didn't pick up your ticket for the game. Um, how did you get this one? I said, first of all, it's none of your business. I didn't get it from you. <laughs> Who is this person? So I ended up the owner, the owner of the Aces. He gave me a ticket. He was like, no, you mm. need to be sitting courtside right next to me. Right. So that right. caught, that was a whole, mm. anyway, I'm like, really? Unbelievable. Like y'all are. Well, someone, someone from the WNBA is going to hear this. Y'all need to treat your legends better, especially if you want the game to grow. If you want people to continue to support, if you want outside people to support, you can't be treating the people that laid the foundation for this game like shit. And that's what you guys are doing. And how many players, you know, got chips out the ass? Man, more than she can count. More than, and MVPs. And, and, and also for the players, though, right? Like, there are yeah. things that the current players can learn from the veterans. Absolutely. Yep. Shit that Absolutely. we went through that, you know, we can share with you mm-hmm. guys and talk to you guys about. Yep. Absolutely. That's I all we that. want. <clears throat> so, three-time Olympic gold medalist, what were those experiences like? You know, obviously being in the WNBA is huge because it just starts, but it's different kind of pride representing your country and being able to do it successfully three mm-hmm. three times over a 12-year span. How fun was that? Man, like none one. other. <laughs> <laughs> which, which one you want to hold? It don't even 96, matter. 96, 2000, go. 2004. <laughs> <laughs> they all go. <laughs> but you know, Matt, when I won a championship in college... I said, like, oh, my God, this is great, and it doesn't get any better than this. So then I go to the WNBA and win championships, and I'm like, oh, my God, it doesn't get any better than this. But I'll tell Hold you, on, you win winning four Olympic championships, gold, not just a championship. My bad, my bad, my bad, my bad, my bad. Yeah. My bad. Yeah. You said it. <laughs> but winning an Olympic, excuse me, three Olympic gold medals is on go. a completely different level. Mm. Because you're not only representing your city or your town or your school or your team, it's your country, right? Mm -hmm. And you're competing against other countries best that they can possibly send to compete. And, And you're playing alongside the best. Yeah. We had some incredible talent on on all of those Olympic teams. But, you know, even though that was 96, 2000, 2004, I, I still take a lot of pride in it when I look at where we are as a country, right? And being a black woman in this mm-hmm. country, having right. an opportunity to compete on the highest level and put on that USA uniform. And this is a part I get a little emotional because 
<laughs> you know, when the whole insurrection and stuff happened, and if I ain't supposed to talk about this, y'all tell me, but when the whole insurrection happened... No, go ahead. And you see some of the people who were in there, there's a freaking Olympic gold medalist. Mm. Oh, the swimmer, right? Yeah. Yep. And so my, my, my response to that, when I saw it a lot, but when I saw him was... Why did you ever put on a USA jersey? Right. Regardless mm. of what you're competing in, like, mm. do you truly understand what that represents? Mm-hmm. Because even though I don't compete anymore, I don't play anymore, and and being a black person in this country is is difficult, male or female. It's difficult. Right. I still but. take a lot of I still take a lot of pride in representing my country. Because it, it, it is. It, it is my country. Mm-hmm. Whether people want to say right. that or disagree or not, it is. No, completely. And so it's hard it for me to sit back and watch stuff like that and, and not feel some type of way. Yeah, no, right. it's tough. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game, King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. Like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college? Because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. At what point in your career did you realize that you would become a role model to other little girls and even boys that look up to the game of basketball? I think even in college. You know, I, I, I always take a lot of pride in trying to do something for someone else. And somebody asked me this question today. They said, during, you know, the pandemic and everything that's going on, how do you get through? And my response to that was, yeah, you have to find time for yourself, 
but I try to take the focus off of myself and think about somebody else that probably has it a little bit worse than I do. So I try to figure out how can I help that person. So even playing and in college, to me, it it takes nothing to stop and sign an autograph for somebody or to say hello. And you never know what that person is going through or what that person has been through. And just to stop and say hi or sign an autograph could completely change that person's day, if not their life. So I think for me in college, and one, growing up in a small town and going to Texas Tech and being in Lubbock, everybody knew everybody. So I kind of was like the local celebrity or local hero. Um, so I, and because of that, I knew that and I took a lot of pride in that. And I always tried to carry myself in a way that um, when people looked at me, they could look at me and say, she, she's just a great person. You know, it's not about being a great athlete. She's just a great human being. And that's what I, that's Overall. that's what I always try to do. Absolutely. Hey, hey I, don't, I don't mean to go off the thing, but I got two questions that I, I, I just thought about. One, we talked to Deion Sanders and he, we talked about his curl. He said his curl. You had you had a famous curl, too. Deion said his curl look wet. But, but it was dry. dry. Was your, just, did your curl look wet and was it dry? Or was it actually hey. wet on the collar and all that? Because your shit was glowing, too. I don't know if I had a curl. Did I have a curl? What was it? What was that? Was, was it, just, it was a slick back? Was it the slick back? That was the college days, though, right? The curl? Wait. The college days, she had, she had the slick back. Wait. We thought she had a curl. We thought it was a curl. Wait, no, no. I don't know. I had some everything going on in college. So it could have been a slick back. It, I, I did have a curl. I had a, a curl that really wasn't a curl, but it was supposed to be a curl. But I had the, I had the wet curl. Like, mine okay, wasn't dry. Okay. I had the wet one. Okay. You know, where it was See, getting on Dion, everything. Dion said, Dion said his look wet, but it was really it was dry. dry. My dad had the oh wet one gosh. too. He had to wear a towel around his neck to make sure it didn't get all of his shirts. So yeah, I know all about that. My, se- hey, my second question was, how good oh was Don Staley? Ooh, Don. No, she was one of, she's one of my favorite ever. Mine too. So I, I was fortunate enough to play with her in the Olympics. And then I played with her one year for um, with the Comets. Don is, you know, I, I hate when people do the whole comparison thing like right lebron and mj and because i say it's just different yep. like the timing is different everybody's the, the, great. Ru- the rules are different right fouls are different all of those things so right. even now when people say well sue bird is the best point guard ever mm, maybe because you never saw don staley play facts mm. I mean, you know what I mean? Not, And that's not taking anything away from Sue. I think Sue's a good point no. guard. But yeah, when girl. you start talking about the best, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's what I would say. And Don Staley, to me, is the epitome of what a true point guard should be. Right? She runs the team. Yes. She gets in your shit when she needs to. She mm-hmm. puts people where they're supposed to be. And she is the fifth option <laughs> when you talk about scoring. That's like the last mm-hmm. thing on her mind. And it's just a competitor. And when I look at what she has done with South Carolina. Yes. Man, listen. Dom Staley, to me, they don't talk about her enough. 
what she's doing yeah. in, in the women's game. That's why I, I had love, to bring her name I love, up, man. I love I, me some Dawn. I'm glad you did, because I love me some yeah, Dawn Staley. Yeah, me too. Shout, shout yeah, out to Dawn Staley. For sure. Um, so you got a chance to spend 11 years in Houston. This is a two-part question. So how, how, how important was it to you to, to play there and be able to represent your home state? And then how hard was it for you to leave in 2008 oh, and sign oh, with Seattle? That was the hardest thing ever. You know, I, I always thought I would retire a Houston Comet. But when the team folded and all that stuff, so, like, I, I don't have a jersey that's retired hanging up in Toyota Center because the comments folded. But that was the hardest thing for me to play the majority of my professional career in Houston, in Texas, and then go play for Seattle for a year and then go play for Tulsa for a year. At that point, I was like, look, I'm not going to be that player. Like it's, it's, it's time, you know, it's like, it's time I'm done, but it's tough when you spend your entire career with one team. And then at the end of your career, you, you think you can still play a little bit, but that team doesn't. Right. So it's like, but I still got a little juice left to give y'all, you know? Mm -hmm. And so Seattle comes along and they're like, all right, Cheryl, we'll take you. (laughs) So because I still wanted to play, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm out. But that was, that was hard. I hated, mm. I hated leaving to go play somewhere else. And, and it's nothing mm. against Seattle because I, I, we had great battles with Seattle. I love the players I played with there, but to, to not finish my career in Houston, um, it was tough. You just mentioned it right now. When did you know? Because sometimes we're the last ones to know. When did you know it was time to hang <laughs> that it up? That is true. That's true. <laughs> um, you know, I always told myself that when it got to a point where there was no longer a challenge or anything for me to strive for, that it was time for me to retire. And when I say that, like, I, I accomplished far more than I ever thought I would accomplish playing basketball. Um, so it got to a point where I was like, all right, well, what's the next challenge? Um, but physically, I had I had back surgery. I had a ruptured disc. So I had back mm. surgery in 2010. And the doctor told me, if you don't have surgery, you're done playing, right? And if you have surgery, eh, it's about a 75% chance you can play again. So I decided to have the surgery, not not for playing purposes, but just so when I was done playing, I wanted to have a life, right? Mm-hmm. And so... After I came back from back surgery, I knew then that I would never be the same. But Seattle was like, we we need you. We still want you. So I came back, played that year. And after that year with Seattle, I was like, nah, like, I don't I don't want to end my career like this. Um, so I went through another offseason of rehabbing and training and my body felt really good. So I thought I was going to go back to Seattle one more year. Nope. I got the axe. And a lot of people don't know that. <laughs> but I got the axe from Seattle. And that's how I ended mm-hmm. up at Tulsa. Played one year in Tulsa. And then I was like, no, nah, y'all not going to do me like that. <laughs> I'm done. So and you're right, Matt, because sometimes yeah. we don't know. Right. But I never wanted to be that player that right. retired 
and then said, oh, man, I got two more years, and then try to come back. No. That, yeah, to me, yeah. was just like. Right. Mm-mm. Get it out. Get it out. You only live once. Do it. So uh, 2016, you have the honor of being inducted to the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Explain to us what that feeling was like. Man, you really do want me to cry now, don't you? Um, so. <laughs> Hall of Famer, you. You yeah. Hall of Famer, Hall you. Of famer. Listen. Listen. The reason why I get so emotional when I think about that, and I'll probably talk fast, is that was the last trip that my mom was able to go on with me before she passed. And wow. it was special because wow. um, my, my mom passed away from colon cancer, but the doctors had told her that she like she couldn't even make that trip. And she said to me, she was like, oh, no, I can make that trip. I will be there. Um, so when I think about that, having her front row, front and center. Sound like Matt's mom. And so, so proud and so happy in, you know, in that moment, it wasn't about her or her illness. It was about me, you know, and I could see how proud she was. Mm -hmm. And um, to be able to share that with her after the entire journey that we had gone through. I started playing ball when I was seven. You know, my mom was with me the entire time and at times telling me, no, you shouldn't play. You shouldn't do that. And then becoming my biggest fan, um, you know, and I think as an athlete, we all want to be remembered for something that we gave to the game. Right. And I think it's right. different for everybody. But for me in that moment, being at the Hall of Fame. And this is the Naismith Hall of Fame where it's the best right. of the best. You know, mm, it's, it's not about boys, it's yeah. not about being a man, mm -hmm. being a woman. It's the best of right. the best. And, right. you know, and, and I'm sharing that moment with 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 my husband, with my son, but, you know, my mom. Mm -hmm. And in this building is, I say, it's royalty. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got the Dr. J's, Magic, everybody that's a Hall of Famer. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was giving my speech, looking at my mom and I could see this look on her face of like, we did it. Like, mm. this is where you're supposed to be. Absolutely. So to be able to share that with her, um, you know, and then come home and seriously, it was, man, not even, ooh, not even a year later that she passed, oh. but it was, um, like, seriously, it's still hard for me at times to really grasp what it what it truly means to be in the Hall of Fame. Like, it really is. A lot of people don't know, too. A lot of people understand, too, when you talk about Hall of Fame, they're not just talking about your profession, your, your WNBA. They talk about your whole career in basketball. Your body of work. Mm -hmm. Your body yeah. of work. That's the people that make it to the Hall of Fame that, has, that have legendary bodies of work in the game. And that's the testament to you. So... Hey, congratulations again, man. You you belong Thank there for you. sure. Damn, Amazing. Matt. But I, th but I think that's dope, though, because, like I said, although different but at, but similar at the same time, you got to share that experience with your mom. You know what I mean? In my – No Jack doubt. mentioned a second ago, I lost my mom to cancer in 2008. Mm. I came into the NBA in 2002, 2003, but bounced around, really never got a chance to play. And in 2006 and 7, with our We Believe Warrior team, 
you know, I kind of really found my footing. Mm -hmm. And my mom was at every single home game and got to see like her baby succeed at, at my dream. And then she died less than a year later. You know what I mean? So I know what you mean when you, you say you get to experience that ultimate moment that your moms get to get to share with you because she was there with you from the beginning. So I know exactly how you feel to get that 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 big moment, quote unquote, to share with and your you. And you know, it's like you can take a deep breath, right? Like Yep. Exhale. <laughs> and and that's yep, exactly how I felt. Yeah. yeah Special. That's beautiful. Mm. That's beautiful. Um, how crucial was it because you know, like you said, you've you've been in this since the beginning. Um, to help get salaries raised. You know, unfortunately, majority of these girls, you were one of the lucky ones, but a majority of these girls have to go overseas mm -hmm. as soon as this season ends to kind of make ends meet. So you guys really never get real time off. So how important is it to you to continue to raise awareness to help these salaries continue to grow so these women can make a real living and not have to go do crazy things just to be a professional athlete in the WNBA. And it's some of the top players too. Matt, like well, for both. Yeah, you're right, Jack. It's, it's important, you know, and here's the thing that drives me crazy. When you see all these social media trolls, whether that's Instagram, Twitter, mm -hmm. anytime you see a WNBA player comment about salaries, they immediately go to, well, you're not LeBron James. You shouldn't be. And no one's saying that. But what they are saying is we deserve to be compensated for our body of work. Right. Yeah, it's not saying, yeah, we should we should be signing multi-million dollar contracts like the NBA. No, but the NBA didn't sign those contracts when the NBA was in their 25th season. You know, right. mm -hmm. so, yeah, right. it's going to take time. But the thing that 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 I'm proud of is the new CBA that the player signed is like, that's a great step in the right direction. So when when we played, I had a child, um, you know, child care wasn't taken care of. I had to pay for that mm. out of my pocket. You know, if I wanted mm. my nanny to travel, I had to pay for that out of my pocket, even as a mom. I'm sharing a room with one of my teammates. So if I want mm -hmm. my own room, I got to pay for that, pay the difference out of pocket. Right, so, of course, right. if I'm traveling with my son and my nanny, I'm going to get my room. I'm going to get a room for a nanny so my son can be there. So all mm -hmm. of those things we had to go through so that the players today know what to ask for. Right. right. We didn't know the league had just started. We were just happy to be playing. Right. It's like you want us to sleep in bunk beds. We're going to sleep in a bunk bed. <laughs> it didn't matter. Right. Because right, we didn't right. know what to ask for. Right. So when I look at the players today, yeah, they're educated. They continue to see what's going on around them and they understand their worth. And not to say that we didn't. But again, the league was just you got to start somewhere. And I say new, somebody's right. got to be somebody's got to be lack of a better word. I'll mm -hmm. say guinea pig. Right. So, no, mm -hmm. we we didn't fly on private planes we flew commercial we play in houston on a tuesday at seven the game finishes at nine by the time you get home it's midnight we got to be up at six in the morning the next day because we got to go get on a plane we have a back-to-back -back in phoenix right like wow that's what we did but we made Damn, it work travel. Wow. yeah right. we made it work so yeah. when when i look at and and it's not just about them fighting for better work conditions and better salary and things like that. But they, 
like they stand up and they speak out and they use their voices, whether that is around social justice or any, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the election, politics, any of that stuff. Like they're saying, listen, these things matter to us, too. Just because we're athletes <laughs> doesn't mean we don't care about those things. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't Absolutely. have a voice. You know, it goes back Absolutely. to the whole thing they said about LeBron. Shut up and dribble. Shut no. Like, that's not what we're going to do. And so I, I, get, I, I take my hat off to those ladies because they're, they're not afraid to just, you know, stand up and, and speak up and speak out and say right is right and wrong is wrong. But at the same time, it's because of what you guys went through that they understand their worth now. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But, you know, and, and I hear I get a lot of people ask me, you know, they say, well, do you wish you were still playing today and then your salary would be what these ladies are making? So here's what I say. Well, that's a dumb question, because, of course, I, I would love to make more money. Right. When I was playing, I would love right. to make more money. But I'm not mad at these ladies because they are making more than what I made when I played. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed, it's supposed to happen right. that way. Yep. Right. How proud are you of the WNBA players making the stand, taking the stand with the association? Um, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm proud. But you know what I would say is this isn't new. Like, this isn't anything new mm. for the WNBA. Yeah. Right. From, from the time, I, I feel like from the time the WNBA first started in 97, it was, there was always something surrounding the WNBA. The players aren't good enough. All the players are gay. The league's not going to last. So we've always had to fight against something, fight for something. We always had to stand our ground for something. So to, to see what the women are doing now, like it's no surprise to me. I think it's a surprise to a lot of other people because they don't know the women like that. They've never seen them like that. And it's not mm-hmm. just about what they bring to the court and what they have to offer the game, but it's so much bigger than that. Like there's a lot of strong, talented, smart women who play in the WNBA that are very mm-hmm. educated and they un- they're very well aware of what's going on around them, what's going on in this in this world, in this country, and they're going to speak up. And, you know, I I don't know if here's what makes them so powerful is that they all band together. Right. Together. unity. (laughs) Yes. That's what you guys are the best at. Absolutely. Like they all stick together. So when somebody comes in and says, Kelly Loeffler, who was, is, whatever, the owner of the Atlanta Dream, like she's wrong. Get her out of here. Yeah. Right. Like one player comes in and Mm -hmm. says, guys, listen. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, you're right. So then you see them coming in wearing their Warnock t-shirts. Like that's a powerful <laughs> statement. Even though people Huge. may not may not think so, that's a powerful Huge. statement. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm very proud to see, you know, what they continue to do on a daily basis and they do so much more than that that yeah. goes unnoticed. Yeah. I said this when I was doing ESPN, I said uh, obviously your guys' strength is in your unity, but if any group understands what fighting for equality is it's the WNBA because you guys have been fighting hmm. for equality since the inauguration of the uh, of the league 
you know? So if anyone yeah. understands what it's like to fight for, whether it's equality in the game or just social equality in our country, and that's why you saw, because the WNBA represents every color of the rainbow. There's all kinds of different nationalities in there, but all from mm-hmm. the white to the, the to the, every other race, they understood and, and stood, you know, uh, you know, 10 toes down with everything that these black players were doing because they understand, like, you know, these are our sisters, but at the same time, we understand what it's like fighting for equality overall. So you, the WNBA has always, to me, been very special in that area. One, because your guys' unity is, is unmatched. But like you said, there's so much more that they do that we don't actually get a chance mm-hmm. to see. We get to see now more because it's talked about and everyone is doing it, but They've always been behind the scenes, pushing the envelope and fighting, um, even when we didn't even realize there was a fight to be had. Mm-hmm. Wow. <clears throat> you know, Matt, it's it's so crazy to to think back when the WNBA first started and, you know, some of the things and issues that we had and stuff that we had to fight for, but it was nowhere near the scale that it is today. Like you're you're talking about someone's life, <laughs> you know what I mean? That these women are standing up for and they're fighting mm-hmm. for, saying this is not okay. And to me, if if more people, right, if more people would take that stance when they see something is wrong, regardless mm-hmm. of color, race, nationality. When they see something wrong, yeah, if more people would do that, I think we as a country would be in a better place. But what I think what I think it has it has done, though, it's it's given it's given people or it's allowed people an insight into who who these women really are. Like, again, they're more than athletes. And like Mm -hmm. you said, you have. You got white, you got black. And I mean, the the WNBA, just like the NBA, it's 90% black. Mm -hmm. But you saw a lot of the white players who were at the front of the line, (laughs) you know, saying, these are my sisters and brothers. And so I am going to be here with them. I'm going to walk alongside them. I'm going to be a part of this with them. And, And I think because of that, you got everybody together. That's a strong, powerful statement. Absolutely. Something we can all learn from, something the NBA can learn from, too, is your guys' unity and, and, and togetherness. All right, coming down the home stretch, we really appreciate your time. We got quick hitters. First thing to come to mind. Jack, oh go ahead. Gosh. Your favorite teammate. Next. Ah! <laughs> nice. We're going to let y'all do it again. We're going to go ahead, man. We're going to let y'all do it. You're not going to do that to me. We're going to let y'all do it. We're going to let y'all do it. You plus four going to play a pickup game at the park. Me plus four. Lisa Leslie. Yep. Of course. Cynthia Cooper. Oh, my God. Dawn Staley. Game over. Tina Tom. Y'all going to play against men at the Rucker. Y'all ain't going to the regular park. <laughs> you just said park. Yeah. That's, I'm giving that yeah. squad all day. Hell Me yeah. too. I want to be y'all six, y'all six men. Uh, <laughs> three songs from the late 90s Ooh. that was in your pregame playlist. I want to hear this. Was there some R&B? Three songs from the late 90s? That was in your oh, pregame man. playlist. That turned you up. That turned you up. You're from Texas, so I know here's, you got something in there that I might know. Thing. No, here's the crazy thing. Like, 
I listen to mellow music before a game. Yeah, that's yeah, so why I asked. I asked because I'd be listening. I'll go from pop to like R and B. So I'm do, both. And I don't sometimes. know if this was '90s, like, but my my go to song before a game was Mary Mary though. Shackles. You remember ah, that song? Mary yeah. Mary. Yeah. Take the shackles off my feet so I can dance. Yeah. yeah. Was that '90s? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sing it. Yeah. Sing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good right there. That yeah. one. Um. And probably Whitney Houston. Anything Whitney. I was good. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I didn't listen to all this upbeat rap. Mm-mm. That just that yeah. got me in a place where I was like, no, my mind is all over the place. I had to calm right. my nerves. I yeah. love it. I love it. Uh, five dinner guests, dead or alive. Ooh, well, my mom is coming back for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Michelle and Barack, the Obamas. Mm-hmm. Let me see my mom, Michelle, Barack. And you too. How about that? Oh, okay. oh man. Hey. 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 All right. That's a good time. Time yeah, out. Time out. No, but if you two come, my mama can't come. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Hey, we know how to have a mama around. We know how to have a okay, mama okay, okay. around. Okay. Yeah. So you two, my mom, around. Michelle, and Barack. I like that. That's going to be good. We're going to have a good time. I love it. Last question. <laughs> Yeah, and when you ask this question, you have to help us with your answer. So be careful about your answer. What? One guess you'd like to see on all the smoke. I, I, I know who I want you to say. Who? Mm-hmm. Don't on. say it till after. Okay. Why? Because right, I'm thinking. I, I hold it. I hold it. Okay. I hold it. We need uh uh. Uh-uh. And it doesn't matter who I say. Okay. Let me nope. think. Um. I'd like to see Barack Obama on your show. Ooh, good call. Ooh, That's big. Great, and we, great call. We, we working on I that, too. I was going to say, I can't help you get him, though. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't that help would, you, but I want to see That would be it. a good one. And he would do it, too. Yes. I was, about to, so. I, I was about to say Cece. Cynthia Cooper. Oh, oh God. She'd do it in a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> Coop, Coop is, Coop is going to show out. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, what you want? I'll um, I'll send you. I'll send you her info. She would. She would do it in a heartbeat. You gotta have her. Well, Cheryl, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure. Um, WNBA, if you're listening, treat your legends right. God damn it, are we coming for you? (laughs) Um, But 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 thank you for your time. Continued blessings to you and your family, and best of luck in everything you're doing. Oh my gosh, you, you guys are awesome. Appreciate it. Much love to both love of you. Thank you. Thank same, you. Same love, Baxi. That's a wrap. Special guest, Cheryl Swoops. You can catch this on Showtime Basketball YouTube and the iHeart platform, Black Effects. We'll see y'all next week. This is All a Smoke, a production of the Black Effect and iHeart Radio in partnership with Showtime. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.